Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Tractor Zoom Delivering Insights. And this is our monthly sit down here with the folks from, from uh, Tractor Zoom and Kyle McMahon and talking about what we see happen in the auction market. And this is about two weeks or two weeks, two months into this. I wish it was only two weeks. Two months into this uh, COVID 19 uh, kind of lockdown thing we have going on. And the, most of the, the overwhelming majority of uh, the auctions now are being kind of done through the, the timed auction, uh, online auction aspect that we see. Some folks are still doing some calling that, that you see, um, chanting stuff, but the overwhelming majority of it switched over to uh, to an online kind of timed auction aspect. So, Kyle, as you take a look at these last couple of months, um, what do you see happening out there? And Have you talked to any um, auctioneers that have kind of expressed, you know, in the next 30 days we're going to go back to a live setting? Yeah, I mean – auctioneers uh, obviously love to bid call they, they love to chant to auctions that's that's what's the the thrill and the adrenaline rush for them uh so yeah naturally they want to get back calling live sales but they also know they they need to do what's right for the sellers and if the sellers are uh a little uneasy or or, or they're not wanting to bring crowds back that could that could spell disaster so mm-hmm. auctioneers would definitely take it day by day and understand what's going on in the market before they start to call live sales again right on okay so with the exception of a handful of auctions that got canceled um or dates got moved or those kind of things um for the most part auctions have kind of stayed the course um the, the number of auctions obviously has fallen off a little bit, but not not like you think it would have. So I guess as you look over the last couple of months and what you've seen happen in the health of the auction marketplace, I guess what are your what are your takeaways so far here coming into mid May? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, share a, a couple slides with you here that can uh, help form the decisions that we've come to. So we can always have opinions, but we as a company and me personally always like to use data to support those decisions. Uh, or opinions rather, mm-hmm. and what we've really seen in the market. If you if you were to split the United States in half, east west, out your way, Casey, like, we didn't see a whole lot of postponed auctions. Uh, and the auctions that did happen, you know, they had some online capability. But as soon as you start getting out east, call it Ohio, Michigan, uh, the, the the Carolinas, we did see a lot of auctions postponed. And this graph represents. Auction inventory over the last year and a half or so. So starting January 2019, as you can see on the right, excuse me, left-hand side of the graph here, uh, keep in mind our, our, our business has grown significantly during this time on the number of auctioneers that use TractorZoom to advertise their auctions. Uh, we, we were at about 200 auction companies uh, at the beginning of 2019, and we're... Uh, a little bit over 400 auction companies that advertise uh, and use TractorZoom services today. So this is auctions by type. So you got your consignments, estates, liquidations, and retirements. What we saw in March 2020 was a lot of inventory. You recall, Casey, COVID was still kind of just starting out. People were deciding, do I shut down business? Do I not? Uh, And then 
as you see in April 2020, we had a drop off. If you look at April 2019, it was still increasing in auction volume. So what we saw was a negative reaction from COVID. We, we specifically had tracked 50, 55 auctions of the, uh, you know, in, in March, we saw 355 and all of a sudden 55 auctions in April were postponed or, or delayed until later this year. Uh, a lot of those were retirements or estates where they had the flexibility to delay them. A consignment auction is a little bit harder to delay and you kind of have to figure it out because you know, sellers have probably been bringing an auction inventory to your yard for the last several weeks. What are you going to do? Tell them to take it back home and we'll sell it again later this year. Right now yep. you're, you're going to figure out technology and you're going to, you're going to get it sold for them. But retirements, the States had flexibility. Some sellers were nervous of low prices, which we didn't really see. Uh, but they pushed that, they pushed that out uh, later this year. Okay. So I have a question real quick, just for the audience here. Will you, uh, will you define a consignment, an estate, liquidation? I mean, how do you guys define those, those four categories? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, one of your, one of your most primary types of auctions is a consignment. That's an auctioneer saying, Hey, March 31st, I'm going to have an auction. Any seller can bring any piece of equipment and we will sell it for you. On the reverse, you have an estate or a retirement sale. A state, somebody died, kids are liquidating the farm, retirement, maybe a farmer's getting old or he's tired of $3 corn. <laughs> and so yeah. he says, you know what? I've been farming for four years. I'm hanging it up this year. There's, there's no sense in farming for no profitability. And those type of auctions, estate and retirements, is a specific auction event for that one seller. Okay. And traditionally what we see in that case is the, the, the local crowds will, will actually attend those uh, in, in larger quantities because frequently what you'll see is that's a little bit nicer equipment. It's a full line of equipment versus a consignment where kind of the, the red flag goes up in a lot of buyers' minds saying, well, what's wrong with it? Who's the seller, right? Yep. Let me talk to them. Yep. And then liquidation, you actually see a spike in March. This is, we saw a lot of farmers downgrading, uh, having liquidation auctions or a couple auction, excuse me, a couple of farmers getting together and liquidating some equipment or un, unused or unnecessary equipment. Um, so, so liquidation is either forced liquidation or kind of a downsizing auction. And you'll, you can actually see here, we saw a lot of them. What, what I thought made sense, Casey, is to go through what we're seeing in three of the largest asset classes, uh, within farm equipment, tractors, combines, and sprayers. Okay. So, here, this slide, you see, uh, obviously, tractors. First thing I want you to see is uh, th there's three classes we have here, 300 horsepower and above, your, your middle row crop, and then kind of your hand forage, 100 to 174 horsepower. Um, and, and you can see the volume of sales on the top graph and mm -hmm. then the price of each on the bottom graph. Okay. We, we see throughout the year uh, big seasonality, right? So there's not a lot of machinery moved at auction during plant and harvest. Right. Uh, you, you naturally see auction inventory spike pre-plant, which is that February, March, April time period. Mm -hmm. Pre-harvest, which is that really July, uh, well, actually August and September is the biggest months. 
and then your post-harvest grains in the bin. Farmers know how much money they've made. They need to play the tax game with Uncle Sam. Let's go spend it on some depreciable assets, machinery. Uh, and you, you frequently we see December, uh, the biggest auction season of the year. Right. So what we see, what we've seen in tractors in the last year, Casey, is you and every listener probably knows it's been one heck of a volatile uh, 360 days here, 365 days mm-hmm. in the last year. Last year, as you can see, the middle of the year, in like June, July, that is obviously we had some 450 corn at that time when the markets rallied because it was so wet. But you know we've been up and down trade policy, MFP payments, wet weather, uh, 450 corn, 360 corn. Now we're at 290 corn, right? right. It's been the era of volatility, in my opinion. And, and we kind of see that with tractor prices. So uh, the best indication of what's going on in tractor prices is to look at the peak volume seasons. That's when the most inventory is traded, and that's when you get the best broad spectrum, if you're looking at an overall asset class, to, to understand price. So what we saw going into planting last spring 2019 was some strength in the market. Uh, and then obviously going into the end of the season, we saw it dip down. So from 111,000 on average – to 92,000, and this is for 300 horsepower uh, tractors and above, dipped down roughly 20% from spring 2019 to summer 19. And then all of a sudden, end of 19, we saw, we had, we had three things going for us. Yields were bigger than expected. MFP payment was guaranteed at that time. I think the first check might have been written or was planned to be written to farmers or deposited in their accounts. And number three is trade policy seemed like it was going to get done. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. Right. What, what, I, what I really want you to look at or everybody to look at is that March 2020 volume and then all of a sudden volume dropped off significantly in April. We didn't see that in 2019. That's what we believe postponed auctions. That lack of inventory held prices up better year-to-date, April over April, fairly well. So roughly, uh, I think, 15% higher from April 19 to April 20. We believe that is from an inventory shortage in tractors. Okay. I'm doing some math here real quick in my in my feeble mind, but um, just look at something real quick. So it's about six percent. So I was just looking at the uh, down on the on the average price gap there. So in January, so basically in that February time frame, the average price was one hundred eleven thousand. And then if you fast forward to um, about December yeah. um, time frame, it's one hundred eighteen thousand. It's about a six percent price increase, and a year over year, I wonder how much of the actual manufacturer's price increase played into that into that, you know, propping up used equipment to some extent will be there. Um, the other flip side of that, too, the three things you lay out there, MFP payments, trade, and um, uh, what was the other one you said? MFP trade, and what was the other Bigger one? Bigger yields. Bigger yields, yeah. The other part of that, too, was in that July, June, July time frame, that's when we had that 450 corn thing, yeah. and, and a lot of guys were, were forward contracting their, their – uh, uh, to the December contract 
And a lot of that, I think, is what we saw that first quarter of the year be so impressive with the amount of, of action we saw at the dealership with just some carryover money. And also, you know, if they've got a few extra coins in their pocket, they're going to pay a little extra for a piece of equipment if it's the one they want. So I think that had something to do with it as well. So that was uh, that end of the year thing, like you said, had some, it was like a perfect storm of things that kind of took place there for just a very short amount of time. And uh, we saw a pretty, pretty decent spike there in, in uh, overall volume at the auctions. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I think, uh, you know, this isn't, these aren't too wild, crazy, volatile prices. Uh, as you might think, commodities were swinging much greater than the machinery prices. Oh, yeah. So yeah. machinery prices aren't directly following corn prices, but commodity prices are obviously a, a, a big influence on it. Yeah. Yep. So, as we go into combines, a little bit more volatility here. Boo. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, Casey, I, I, we, we, ch- we chat about combines. I've yep. listened to a bunch of other podcasts, you and Aaron. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I was, I was on a flight going down to uh, a conference listening to you and Aaron talk about lag in the market last maybe August during combine season well now we can actually put data to it last summer uh, that august time period mm-hmm. there was a massive bulge of combine inventory in the market yeah and there you was. can directly see that center of the graph on the volume of, of combines that were brought to the market the, the crazy thing i i see here casey is if you look at the average price in july 19 at forty eight thousand, mm-hmm. there's there's not a a ton of volume, maybe kind of normal for that July time period. July, probably not many consignments going on, so there's some good retirements. And the yeah. guys are probably feeling good buying combines at that point in time. Just come off a 450 corn run. Yep. And you know they knew there's going to be more combines in the market as auction sale bills were getting posted and inventory was uh, getting publicized. But then I think there's way too many auction, or excuse me, way too many combines brought to market. And that August, what you'd think would be an August peak, yeah. we saw a, a price lowering of maybe 8% yeah. in the month of August. And, and that has to be led to the volume, the sheer volume of combines sold. Yeah, that's a textbook supply and demand issue there. I mean, it's 100%. Just, I mean, there's so many used combines out there. And I don't want, I keep saying that. There's so many used combines in the marketplace, which is true, but... It's a certain segment that there's too many of, and that's the, the 12, 13, 14 model years. Whether I don't care if it's Deer, Case, New Holland, Gleaner, I don't care who it is. They all have a proportionate uh, amount of, of, of those machines are all, are all there. And the problem is it's not the fact that there are too many machines out. The biggest issue is that the amount of machines that are hitting the lot or, or that just that. I mean, there's just so many of them that, that haven't gone through that traditional trade cycle of every two years or every three years or every five years or whatever it is. Yeah. Everything is a five- or six-year-old machine, and it's got about the same number of hours on it, and it's about the same kind of spec and blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, it's a commodity now. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, I want a bushel of corn. Cool. There you go. It's, there it is. There's the price. I want a 2013 blah 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 here you go here's the price there's no 
no differentiation between them. That's what that's what drives me a little crazy about my own statements of there's too many combines in the marketplace because there's not too many 17, 18s, and 19s, right? It's just yeah. that segment, that one segment that is there. And and the poor 15s and 16s are kind of tweeners, you know what I mean? That was during the time frame when there was there was not very many of those made either, but they're also old enough now to where they're kind of starting to fall off in, in value and, and they're kind of getting lumped into that other thing. So it's just a it's just a it's a mess right well, now. Well, you must have had out. you must have had a lot of people listening to your podcast when you're talking about combines being down in the dumps because everybody probably thought it was time to buy a combine when it came to December. And natural auctions have it, competitive nature. Mm-hmm. It just it kept driving value up. Yeah, and there were there were prices on that and when Sullivan had their uh their December auction, uh consignment auction that they've had, some of the prices that were coming there, I'm like, there's no earthly way they're gonna because they had this that's row of combines, like, man, those guys sorry about their luck. But man, they brought the money and yeah. You saw that auction after auction basically from the uh well, like your graph shows it here, it started out in November and it took off to December and it kind of trickled down to that to that February time frame where's your kind of your mid mid November to kind of mid February time frame was really the meat of that of that jump. You know, obviously December is always the best time to usually always the best time to to sell to sell that combine on an auction just because of trying to trying to get over on Uncle Sam there are some tax issues, but uh, the long run of that of that story is, in my opinion, is just there's just too many of a certain year range that we've got to figure out what we're going to do with those machines. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't. Stuff. I mean, will we ever? There's just so many out there. Yeah. You don't see them going away for a couple of years, and like yeah. you're saying, there's still a shortage of more late model, lower hour combines, and that's where you see strength in the market. Yeah, I think, in my opinion, the real answer to getting rid of these. These older combines, uh, that specific year is uh, it, it's international business. They're relying on the um, the South American and and Mexican marketplace to uh, to buy the you know the sixty series and the fifty series and the seventy series combines. And, and a lot of those guys are showing up now, actually seeing some of these S series combines. Um, these that are actually worth they've, they've come down in price enough to where they can afford to get them right. Um, if you take a look what's going on in, in Ukraine and take a look what's going on in other Eastern European countries, there's there's opportunities there, but it all comes down to who's got money and who's got cash flow and who can who can pay for it and all those fun games that come come along with the international marketplace. But to me, I, I feel like the North American marketplace is saturated with those those year models worth of combines and, and it's gotta be uh until that gets figured out, um it is what it is, and um, we have to free up some space somehow. And, and unfortunately, it's it's uh, it's going to be a tough ride for a while. I just think it's going to be uh, they're dragging down the rest of the marketplace with them. Well, it, it, the the other takeaway I take from this combine pricing over the last fifteen months is if you're a seller, <laughs> be selling in December, right? You're a buyer. Yep. Be buying the first quarter or uh, yep. or third quarter, mm-hmm. which that makes sense too, because most folks are when they're buying their uh, that December, January, February time frame, they're making their purchases for that for that year. You know, 
and what they need to replace for the year going into harvest or planting or whatever it is. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, the uh, I will say though that that July time frame <clears throat> that you have there, um, where you had the uh, uh, the spike up in in count as well as a little bit of a spike up in price. <coughs> Excuse me. That 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 time frame is uh, you know post wheat harvest rolling into uh, fall crop harvest is a uh, you do see some some attractiveness there, and those are the folks that are you know they've got their grain in the bin and they're trying to make some decisions about what they're going to do if anything moving forward. So that was an opportunity as well. But obviously, as you can see, I'm sure if you put this graph up. For the last three years, that sixty-eight thousand dollar number um, would still be the highest point on the uh, on the chart for sure um, over a three-year average. It, it it certainly very well could be. Yep. Okay, so the other asset class to look at uh, was sprayers. The the thing that surprised sort of surprised me a little bit by looking at the data here was there's really only two peak seasons for sprayers yep. you don't see sprayers according to this you don't see sprayers trading in that pre-harvest uh-huh. you know they're just getting done with use uh from you know maybe a month before but you just we just don't see many sprayers on the market in that august pre-harvest auction season yep. however big sprayer season december and march yep um we saw a little bit of weakness from probably that December, January time frame of 2020 versus the December, January time frame of 2019, 1819. Saw a little bit of weakness, but once we got to March 2020 and then April 2020, we saw strength as it relates to the year prior in 2019. Um, even though there's a lot of inventory in the market, we saw some strength April over April, 19 over 20, uh, by by roughly uh, 9%. So in the month of April in 2020, it was 9% higher than the month of April in uh, 2019. Yeah. And 2019, April, the big rains hadn't come yet, so you can't say it was wet weather. And that, I think that's pretty typical if you look at the, at the, at the range there. Year-end buying, obviously. To, I mean, there's nothing left to spray, right? In November, they sprayed everything they're going to spray. Um, so they're looking at, at upgrading uh, of what they've got. And also, uh, if they haven't done that in November, December time frame, uh, going in before they start top dressing wheat and those kind of things, um, you start seeing a spike up there as well going into uh, type, you know, fertilizing um, applications for corn as well. So corn and beans. So, yeah, you see that spike up from January to March too. So... I would agree with what you got there, and I would say um, sprayers have been a, a bright spot for the last two or three years um, as far as value goes. It seems like used sprayers, good used sprayers, were um, in somewhat of a, of a demand cycle, and uh, there weren't that many uh, lower-houred ones, just like same kind of the same combine situation that we saw, I talked about just a minute ago. Um, People just held onto their held onto their um, sprayers and and uh, you know put more hours on them than they typically would have, or picked up some more acres, you know, than they would have typically done. Those kind of things. So um, the hours and spray hours on these machines had had kind of hit the uh, saturation point again. And again, 
there's a big chunk of them that have relatively close to the same hours on them. Yeah. Yeah, so as as it relates to kind of wrapping up these three asset classes, we look specifically April 19 versus April 2020. Okay. Year over year during the COVID month of 2020, we saw a strength in the machinery market on all three asset classes. Tractors up 14%, combines up 5%, spraying up 9%. We believe this is due to a inventory shortage at auction buyers had buyers saw the piece they wanted to buy they saw it in march getting auctions going on beginning of april auction got postponed well i got to go find something else to buy or not to just sit on something else i think it created more of a competitive atmosphere in the auction market yeah so low supply is what we believe stabilized this um you know we'll we'll have to see what goes on later this year once that inventory comes back on the market Mm -hmm. the other thing i want to make sure that people understand through these numbers is these are an overall average. So the the 14% in tractors, that's 14% for 300 horsepower and above tractors, all makes, all models, all conditions, but it gives you a good understanding of strength in the market. Combines, same thing. It is every type of combine, every color of combine, every year of combine and uh, every condition. However, it gives you, a lens to look at the the, the uh, strength in the market and and uh, the combine market. Same with sprayers, right? So they're all self-propelled sprayers uh, as it relates to strength. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good data, man. Yeah. So uh, thought it made sense to share these numbers with everybody because it can be a little bit depressing uh, if you're just watching the Chicago Board of Trade, <laughs> but you. <laughs> You you look at your your machinery in the shed and yep. um, maybe you feel feel a little bit better about yourself. Yeah, I think no, I think just I, I, you know we keep we we hear this stuff and the doom and the gloom and those kind of things. I just feel like we're we're on a we're we're coming out of the trough here. I feel like we're going to be going up. I'm not saying there's going to be six dollar corn and you know thirteen dollar beans or anything like that, but I'm just saying you know we're going to see a significant rise in, in value. Um, across the entire all segments. So I really feel like there's a great opportunity here for folks to uh, set tight and you're gonna have some you're gonna have some money in your pocket. So just stay tuned, I guess is the best way to do it. Yeah, you know, Casey, you know I'll have to do the same kind of uh, conversation as it relates to these three asset classes and, and machinery. Mm-hmm. And heck we could do it in June and July and August again and just see how this is trending. Yep. Um Maybe there is more optimism in the market. We we get some higher commodity prices. We get cars back on the road. That's all plants back online, driving commodity prices up. Yep, that's going to have a uh, an impact on what machinery values will do. Absolutely, uh, and it'll also change farmers' kind of uh, optimism in the market. Yep, yep. I think there's a lot more optimism out there than what the media wants to wants to portray. I know it's a tough time right now, and I know there's a million things that say that this is going to be the worst time ever, but. I really feel like there's more optimism than what than what the actual media is letting you letting you know. Yeah. Well, should we move into uh, a little bit uh, more granular? What's going on? Yeah. In the combine world. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So, 
as we dive into the combine market, I saw, uh, you know, naturally saw the volatility in the slides uh, that we that we had shared before. Um, oh boy, you got some bad transitions here. Um, auction auction inventory again was uh, significantly up in March, and then April was postponed. As we look at the combine market, as we were saying earlier, we saw that a lot of volume had an adverse impact on on combine value in August 2019. And we saw those prices rally fourth quarter. As we had mentioned, commodity prices, they had an opportunity to sell in the summer. Uh, the MFP payment came out. We had bigger yields than expected and uh, maybe some, some trade some foreign trade was looking optimistic at the time. Uh-huh. And as we look at all combines by manufacturer over the last few years, we wanted to put a chart together that, that specifically shows the average price per manufacturer. This is for, it's, it's, I don't think it gives you any great intelligence what's going on in the market. But if you're specifically buying your hardcore John Deere, hardcore Case IH, hardcore mm-hmm. cleaner, whatever you might be, this shows what the used value of those combines are going to do over time. So as I look at this, Casey, John Deere's on the top. So all auction results are favoring John Deere combines, and you can see that linear graph there mm-hmm. representing combine the order it goes is John Deere, Case IH, Kloss, New Holland, and then Gleaner of ways down there. Yep. Yep. Another interesting thing about your chart is the number of machines that are under fifty grand. That that Jackson Pollock painting you have down there under <laughs> under fifty grand. You know, what I mean, it's there's a there's a lot of machines down there. There are a lot of machines. Uh, and something else I kind of thought was a little bit funny is, you know, Casey, you know, you sell John Deere equipment. You know, nothing runs like a deer. Look at those combines that guys are stretching out between 8,000 and 11,000 hours. Yeah, no. That's a lot. That's a That's lot. A lot. Hours. But you see a lot of machines out there. I mean, I know we've looked at some some older, uh, like 9600s, and, and um, we've looked at some, some 50 series machines that have got um, – Five and six thousand separator hours on them, so I'd, I'd put them up there in that you know seven to eight thousand engine hour range. So that would be that would be out there. But there's a the one the really the one surprising move on this on this uh, chart here that I would find that I was a little bit surprised by um, was the uh, the linear nature that that Kloss and Case have to each other. They're really not that far apart, and actually, Kloss towards the tail end of its lifespan actually um, outpaces the case as far as value goes. Yeah, hmm. yeah, certainly does do that. Uh, but uh, you know, there's a lot of data points here, a lot of combines that we've tracked that have sold at auction, and, and I think this really paints a really good picture of what values do if you're hardcore one brand or the other right uh, and if you're ever to switch this will help you show help show you what used values by paint color 
are doing over the life cycle of an entire combine analysis. And the nice thing about this, too, um, to all you bankers out there listening to this, this shows you bang for your buck and when you should be talking to your guys about trading, right? This is when you start seeing that, that linear movement where you, if you're going to jump into the market at a $150,000 combine, um, when have you gotten the good out of that machine as far as appreciation and value and all those kind of things go? Um, same thing on the upper end, same thing on the lower end. Um, the conversation about, about trading equipment, obviously it's driven by cash flow and all those fun things that go into that, but this this is the, the one thing I feel personally like, and I'm sure every banker out there is going to, jump my ass about this but I don't know the conversations are being had enough to say like you know what you've actually got a $200,000 machine here looks like to me when that machine gets to a auction value for your machine gets to that one hundred and fifty or $125,000 range we need to think about jumping in and doing something different based on your situation right I just feel like that uh Falling that depreciation curve for machines and knowing when you're going to get to a certain reconditioning spot and a certain de depreciation spot and where those lines cross at are a, a huge, um, I, I think, indicator of when it's time for you to trade, depending on your situation and your cash flow situation and all those kind of things. But when those two lines cross that your, your reconditioning costs are going to outpace your depreciation and all those things come together, You've got the good out of the combine, and either you make a, a big investment to bring it back up to speed, or you, uh, or you take that same amount of money you would do that with, and look at, at upgrading your machine. Yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty easy to look at this chart case and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to go buy a combine with two thousand set hours and run it till four thousand set hours because it's got less depreciation, right? But you got a lot more reconditioning and carrying costs on that on that asset. Yep. As it relates to something that's between 500 and 1500 hours. Yep, that's very true. All right, let's uh, let's dive in combines by manufacturer. More of a call it the the, the model years we're going to look at in the next few slides will be kind of that 2011 ish to 2016 17 ish uh, time range. So good inventory, decent inventory, depending on the manufacturer. And uh, should be able to give you guys some good insights to what's going on. What we're looking at here is John Deere S600 series combines. Naturally, it's it's you based on price. You'd say this aligns pretty well for the value of, of what you're getting. S690s are at the top. S680s, S670s, S660s at the bottom. What I think is really unique here, Casey, is the inverse relationship that you have about that 2,500 hour mark on S670s and S680s. Guys are starting to pay more for an S670 than they would for an S680 later in its life cycle. And then that jump all up to an S690 in that later hour is really big. You got at a used market, you have to pay an extra 40 grand to go buy an S690. And, and, or instead of a, a 670 or a 680. Right. Which makes some sense because that's about the, the difference between the two. But there's a, when you look at the S680, the number 
of 680s on the marketplace are still I mean obviously the seven, the 670 is is the bigger the bigger um, group of, of numbers just kind of looking at first glance at this at this chart the tightness though of the 680 in in the range from 200,000 to 100,000 they all that's where the biggest bulk of those machines are being sold at if you look at that how they kind of are smashed <laughs> together the 780 or sorry the 670 um, the biggest bulk of them are in that 150 to to hundred thousand dollar range so it's even a tighter range than what you see in the uh, the 680 range so that's a that's an interesting thing but I don't think there's a big a big shock there that the overwhelming majority of these machines being sold are between a thousand and two thousand hours um, across the board I mean the overwhelming majority of the the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s all fall into that mix. And they were probably all manufactured in 13, 14. <laughs> yes, they sure were. <laughs> okay, so, you know, this, this, is, this is the John Deere fleet of uh, combines as we go into Case IH. So, as you can see from the models that we pulled in here, there's... Uh, six seven eights and nine class combines there's definitely fewer that sell at auction yeah and we we i, I pulled in the 6130s 7130 7230 8230s, 9230s uh just to give you a good representation of what's going on in the market for case ih combines again much fewer than than you'll see on john deere uh, but in the used market John Deere has a 60% market share mm -hmm. from every other manufacturer. I, I, um, I was talking to an OEM once, and, and he's very adamant that John Deere's combine market share is 60%, Case IH is 10%, uh, and then the rest are the final. Uh, Case IH, excuse me, is 20%. Think Kloss is maybe 10%, mm -hmm. and then the rest of them are the other 10%. Right. So naturally you're always going to have more data, better data on deer equipment than case IH. And after that, it's going to be a little bit sparse, but every data point helps when you're evaluating equipment. Right. Uh, what I found interesting here, Casey, is the, the six class is uh -huh. selling better than the seven class. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. 6130 is selling better than the 7130. Yeah. That's another thing too in the, the class eight market here and on the case side of the business is significantly higher really I mean it's significantly higher than everything else they've got out there the number of eight model or class eight combines that they've got out there is is uh is there's more machines and they're selling for more money overall so yeah that's uh that's pretty because you would think the the class seven combine especially in that um that kind of that year range that we're looking at here, that thousand to two thousand hour range, um, in twelve, thirteen, fourteen model years, they sold more, they sold more class eights than they did anything else. Yeah, I would not expect uh, that. Yeah, there there are a lot of there there are a lot of those out there as it relates to the Case IH series. Um, and the other thing I find interesting from this chart is the eights and nines trade pretty tightly together. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at that seventy two thirty. You kind of have to look kind of hard, but there is a lot of variability in price there. 
Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at that 1600 hour range for a 7230, there's a few that have traded around that 80 to 90,000 dollar mark, 80 to 100,000 dollar mark, and then you have this one that's all the way up at 165,000. 100 yeah. Yeah, 165,000. Like that's 2x the price of the ones that were selling same hour range. That doesn't make any sense. Must uh must have been a very nice one. Must have been something. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Well, uh, the, that price looks more like a, a land price in Northwest Iowa where two cattle and hog producers got together yeah. at, a, at a fist fight over a farm. Yep. So the other manufacturer we want to take a look at is Kloss. Again, not a lot of data points, but these are enough to be somewhat statistically relevant uh, as, we, as it relates to uh, the Lexion 740 and 750. We haven't seen a ton of these at auction. Um, that 750 has some variability, as you can see. That 2600 hour, there's yeah. one that sold for 55,000. Well, 2400 hours sold for 120,000. I, I, I personally, and I actually watched the auction that sold for 55,000. I'm not sure why that sold so so low. That, that guy got a bargain. Um, but as it relates to, to the 740s and 750s, uh, I, th- I think you'd see the, the normal price gap between the two. It seems to be a little bit more extreme than you, you, you might think, though. Yeah, there's just not many of those out there anywhere. There's pockets, you know, in, in certain in certain regions of the uh, of the United States, but uh, in Canada. There's a there's a fair amount in Canada, but there's just not a it just doesn't have the the dealer network. It's just not there for the classes that that is that you see for the other other manufacturers. Yep, and it's going to take a special buyer to buy one. So if it's if it's in the wrong location when you're selling it, yeah, there's no dealers around, and nobody's really willing to ship it across the U.S. closer to where uh, they might have other class equipment. Could be a, a tough sale. Yep, maybe that's what we saw with that fifty five thousand. I think it was. I think it was down in the Kansas area, and it was an online-only auction. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to look at is kind of combines by class. So we just showed you by manufacturer what it does. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at them uh, by class. And, I, you know, I based on the data you saw earlier, I thought it made sense to only bring in John Deere and Case IH mm-hmm. uh, to, to look at that comparative analysis and, and how it trades. Here you have your S660s. Pretty traditional depreciation curve. You have your 6130s and 6140s. And now the 6140s were made a little bit more late model. I think they started making the 71 or 6140 in, in 2017, 2018. Yeah. Where in 2017, 2018, you would have jumped up from the S660 to 760. Mm-hmm. That's right. In 2017? Yeah, 2017. Uh, but we wanted to at least have these in there so you can see the 6140 over the 6130s uh, in the auction market. S660s are much more prevalent in the class class six combines, um, and you, you, people are paying more for them when they're low hour. And then you see the inverse for the case IH later in life, maybe a little bit less depreciation on these. Well, there's also and it could be a supply issue as well. Well, I think I'd go with the supply thing. You've got what do you got? One, two, three, four, eight, eight data points between the sixty-one thirty and the sixty-one forty. But I will say this: 
the 6140s are a pretty tight group for what they are. I mean, the hour range between 800 and 1100 hours. You know, you have a pretty tight group there as far as what yeah. what value brought. So, yeah, if you look really early on, there was a 6130 that sold for 170,000. Only mm-hmm. had 250 hours on it. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the really low hour deer machine, you've got to pay another fifty thousand dollars to hundred thousand dollars to go get into one of those early yep. on life cycle. Yeah. All right, let's go into class sevens. Class sixes are okay, but class sevens and eights are where the kind of meat and potatoes are in the data here. Yep. So case IH, class, John Deere. Uh you specifically watch the values. Go John Deere, Case IH, uh, Kloss. And, you know, we, we've seen a couple, a, a good number of, or uh, a few Lexion 740 sell in this graph. Quite a bit more depreciation on one of those than what you look at a Case IH or uh, John Deere. Is this surprising to you, Casey? No, I don't think so. I think, again, it goes back to that, um, to the dealer network thing. You know, it's, so, I mean, the cost, there's there's less machines there, and the, the, the pocketed areas that they have strong Lexion, um, strong Lexion uh, presence, uh, as far as dealer network goes, you're going to see higher values for machines just because there's a, the network's there in place. Um, but uh, as an overall North American, you know, model, you, obviously there's more case in, in John Deere dealerships in North America than there's anywhere else. Any other brand? Yeah. yeah, the other thing this graph uh, makes really really look at are how similarly paralleled the S670 Deer machine and the Case IH7230 mm-hmm. is throughout the depreciation and life cycle. They're, they depreciate at roughly the same rate, and that Deer machine is always going to be, you know, maybe 10 to 15% higher in price yeah. over that KSIH machine throughout yeah. the entire life cycle. Yeah. From 500 hours all the way out to 3,500 hours. Yep, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's never a... And as it gets older, the, the uh, it expands. I mean, that that percentage gets higher. Yeah, to a point. Uh, I, I also think the trajectory of those appreciation curves early on in the life cycle, uh, there's, there's still a good gap. But, uh, yeah, I, I could tend to agree with you uh, from a little bit. And as we look at the class eight combines, it's uh, a little different. I think the first thing I look at look at is that glut between, you know, twelve hundred hours and two thousand hours, just like yeah. we we're, were saying earlier. The guys are paying a lot more for that low hour machine. Yep. Uh, right up front. Yep, and that kind of goes like I you know just like we talked about earlier that the demand for that low hour unit is. Uh, there's plenty of it because there's, I don't want to say there's none, and and that the there's a there's a low supply because there's there's. It's not where it needs to be at for it to be as, uh, as effective as it as you would think as far as, you know, the, the, if you look at this graph, the number of machines that are above, uh, you know, that hundred fifty thousand dollar mark and up, and the number of machines that are. From one hundred fifty thousand dollars to one hundred thousand, um, I almost it, it almost feels like there's about the same number of machines on both sides of that. 
if you really look at it. There might be a few more in that 150 to 100,000 range, but um, there's still a fair amount of machines that are 150 to 200,000, and what that looks like, and just those are the ones that have probably less than a thousand separator hours on them, that above yeah. 150 range. So that's what folks are looking for. They're trading their 2,500 hours in on a thousand hours, or their 1,500 hours in on some 150 hours or 500 hours or something like that. So, <clears throat> so, if I, so if I understood you correctly, you're mm -hmm. you're suggesting to trade in that S680 before you get over that. 1200 hour mark. I think so. I think any combine that you get over that you can get 1200 separator hours before you hit a thousand separator hours. Um, because that's really that 750 to a thousand separator hours is, is really your, your biggest spend in reconditioning costs. Your first biggest spend in reconditioning costs. Um, and then it, every year after that is, is a is another you know, you start hitting reconditioning points on after that, and it just depends on what your operation is like. Um, if you can trade your combine in and you can run it to, to 750 separator hours, whether it's case deer, whomever, doesn't matter, um, you're going to get the most bang for your buck. It's gonna, that's going to be your cheapest to run that machine. Because after that, the reconditioning costs are going to catch up with depreciation. Yep, and you, you, you know, if, you, if you don't look at the uh, linear graph line on here, the, rather the uh, logarithmic graph line here, and you just look at those S680 dots that kind of make an S curve between 500 hours to or 1,000, pretty flat depreciation. Right. And all of a sudden, that 1,200 hour, you significantly drop in depreciation, and then it kind of flattens back out. Uh, I mean, if you just look at price, you're seeing those 500 to 1,000 hour machines selling in that 225 to three or 275,000 range. So call it mid to low to mid $200,000 and then right when you hit 1200 hours and between all well, in 1200 hours, they just drop significantly mm -hmm. between a thousand and 1500 hours. I'd say majority of them in the $150,000 range. It's just a S kind of curve going down uh, right when you hit that 1200 hour range. Yep. The other thing that surprised me on this was, as it relates to the previous graph, we were kind of dogging Lexion 740 combines, and they don't sell very well. Lexion 750, their, their Class 8 combine, is holding in with the rest of the pack here. Yeah. Um, selling better than Case IH's 8120, and pretty close to the 8230 Case IH and the Deer S680. Well, a little bit cheaper, maybe about 15% cheaper, but... It's also fifteen percent more expensive than uh, 80, 8120. The Class Eight combines, I think, are the uh, it's the combine that more people are gravitating to. Um, it's uh, it's not too big that you can't get it around, but it's not so, but it's big enough. It's it's bigger than um, you know a six or a seven, and it gives you that that little extra amount of um, capacity to get things done faster. To me, I think the Class Eight Combine right now in this marketplace is is a sweet spot for combines. Well, you you, you get that operating efficiency in your yep. farm without paying a Class Nine price. Yep. Yep. Class Nines, we can we can also look at a little bit fewer data points. Here we're looking at Case IH 9120, 9230, uh, and then John Deere's S six ninety. Again, as as relates to every other graph you've seen, 
the, the deer machine is more expensive. Yeah. Um, and here you see a pretty similar graph, uh, linear depreciation between a 80, excuse me, a 9230 and an S690, but you have to pay, what's that, 1,500 hours I'm looking at, hundred and probably thirty thousand dollars, maybe hundred and thirty five thousand for a ninety two thirty. And then or you gotta spend hundred and ninety thousand dollars or two hundred thousand well really two hundred thousand dollars for an S six ninety. So you're gonna have to pony up another sixty five thousand dollars to buy that deer machine over yeah. a ninety two thirty. Yep. No, that makes sense. There can't be that much difference as, as those machines being new. Tend to gather they might depreciate a little bit quicker. Or have less of, less of an audience uh, later in their life cycle. Well, programs, new programs affect the price of used a lot. And as as you as you watch the programs and and how how the how manufacturers um, roll out different stuff when it comes to selling new and what they decide to do at any given time. I mean, whatever the program is from the new on the new side, it's it affects used probably at least by twice that much. So. Um, that could have an effect on what you're seeing here as well. And you also see it looks like a uh, custom harvester had a couple of 90, 9120s. Yeah. Ran them all the way to 4,400 hours. And they sold for, same auction sold for forty about $41,000. Got the laugh out of those. Yeah. Well, Casey, that's, uh, that's the data that I have on, on the combine market. Um, I, as it sums up, you know, I think a few things that I look at are that deer machine is always more expensive. There's a heck of a lot more of them. And then as you, as you mentioned, you're looking to trade or you're looking to sell, you're, you're going to have that value at that 500 to a thousand dollar range. But then once you hit a thousand to mm-hmm. all 1500 hours, you see a big depreciation, you see a big depreciation in all of those machines, regardless of color. Flip back to the, what to the uh, the chart you had? We had all of them, you know, did by class, kind of lined up with each other. Yeah, sure. So you have all makes, all models here in this in this graph line. This is this is one thing again, bankers. If you listen to this, pay attention to this graph. This shows you where the depreciation is for the machine and what the depreciation looks like and when the when you've got the best out of the machine. Right? There are depreciation points and reconditioning points that need to be understood and when you're talking with your with your customers this is when you need to have that conversation with them where are you at in the depreciation curve where are you at in the reconditioning curve and reconditioning is one of those things that in my personal opinion the only time reconditioning comes into play in a piece of equipment it is a combine it is a chopper it is you know I maybe throw balers in there to some extent, but overwhelmingly, my personal opinion is um, it's combines and choppers harvesting equipment. And the reason for that is those machines are either A, ground engaging, or B, um, they are running a massive amount of product through them, and there's just a million wear points on these machines. So when you're, when you're talking with your customer, Understand where the reconditioning points are for combines. Understand where the reconditioning points are for choppers. Understand what the depreciation curve looks like. And what Kyle's putting out here gives you all that information. Um, 
reconditioning obviously is not in here, but I mean the depreciation curve and what that looks like. And you know, if you're going to take a brand new combine and and run it all the way through to 6,000 hours, um, beyond depreciation curve, it might make sense to do all that. But the amount of reconditioning that you're going to do in that time frame, you could probably buy two new combines doing that. So um, just be aware of that and, and understand what that looks like and and hit Kyle up and how he can get you this information. So with that, with that being said, Kyle, what's the best way to get a hold of, of you and the folks there at, at Tractor Zoom and Iron Comps? Yeah, certainly. Uh, the, the other thing I'd mention, Casey, is you know, you've got some pretty religious listeners on here. There's specific things that uh, you guys want to see that you can help help us form our, our next podcast. Shoot Casey a note. Shoot me a note. Best way to get a hold of me is, um, you know, you guys are welcome to shoot me an email at kmcmahon at tractorzoom.com or call my cell, text me, whatever, 641-919-5953. And then if you're looking for farm equipment coming up for auction, so you're looking to buy something, go to tractorzoom.com. You'll see auctions coming from 400 different auction companies across the United States that advertise the machinery on there. You can sign up for alerts. Let me know when an S660 comes up for for auction. It'll literally text you. Uh, or let me know when an auction comes up in 200 miles of me. I want to know about every single auction. It'll text you. It'll email you. It'll send you a notification on your app, whatever. You can also go to Iron Comps, and that's where we're actually using a lot of this visualiz- data visualization here. Um, we're, we're looking at over, we're, we're analyzing over 4,200 4, auctions that have happened in the last uh, two years, and that's how we form our data. Right on. Well, Kyle, this is great stuff. Um, you know, I think this is a, it's a game changer as far as how you know used equipment guys like myself and my team can go in and, and uh, really start to kind of pinpoint where we need to be at in the marketplace and what's happening in the marketplace. Way, way more important about that. I mean, understanding what's happening in the market and seeing these trend lines develop. So, Kyle, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Casey. Uh, looking forward to having the auction market as COVID and people start getting back to work. I know, yep. I know our team is anti to get back to work. Yep. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest podcast drops as well as blog drops. I'm actually writing one right now, and I'll hopefully have it done this weekend. Um, check out the Global Ag Network and all the great podcasters out there as well. And, uh, you know, I know I know. it seems like there's uh, a lot of negative things going on in the world right now, and there are plenty of them. But uh, things are turning around slow but sure. Um, check out the uh, the podcast I just dropped there last yesterday with Sean Hackett about what we we're talking about happening in the marketplace. So I think there's uh, there's some there's some silver lining coming, folks. So just keep the faith and and hold the line. And I know it's uh, tough to say that right now, but um, there's a lot of positive things coming. So with that being said, I'm Casey Seymour with Comic Man. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron.